All right. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you as we're in this 21-day fast about parachuting in, right? About grabbing a parachute and jumping right in. We're about to enter into the third and final week of the fast, and I want to take the time to congratulate you for your commitment, for your struggle, for your fight, right? We've been in the middle of a 21-day fast, and you know it's a marathon. It doesn't, it's not easy, right? Things that we think are easy to give up in a 21-day fast, you know, we notice bacon really matters. <laughs> bacon matters. Everything starts smelling like bacon. It's like, what's going on? Don't they know, right? So 21 days, you know, really, really is it's a difficult thing. And I want to congratulate you for, for continuing to battle in the wage war in your prayer and in your fasting for 21 days. As you do that, even your failures honor God. The fact that you failed but got back up and you keep fighting and, and the fact that even in your thought life, you've not given up, you, you just keep trying, you keep fighting, and you keep making it a day at a time, God is honored by that. So let's give each other a hand, amen? Because we're fasting for a purpose, right? We're fasting to experience the glory of God, to ask God to do that which we cannot do, to ask God to do that which needs to happen, to ask God to do what we know He desires to do. You've shown that you're not the kind of people who are interested in the Christianity that's void of the power of God. Amen? That's good news. You've shown that you realize that the church needs to be desperate for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And your fasting is a declaration of war against the status quo spirituality, against the status quo and the, and the dominion of the flesh, and against the kingdom of darkness. And the Lord is partnering with you, and greater is he that lives in you than him that lives in the world. Amen? Amen, absolutely. So God is working. I just want to remind you that your fast is not just some religious idea or a good idea. I want to remind you that your fast has been an incredible way to seek after the heart of God and to get connected with what God desires for you and for your family. I want you to know that your sacrifice, your sacrifice gets the attention of God. Hebrews 11.6 is that verse that has been really the, the anchor to this entire series and this pursuit of God in the 21-day fast. It says this, For it is impossible to please God without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is who he says he is, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Your fasting is diligence. Amen? It is a pursuit of God that he acknowledges. And I'm going to tell you what, there's been some incredible things that have occurred throughout this fasting already. There are people who have testified of loved ones coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There are people who have testified of of just hearing from the Lord. You know, God is speaking to me this way, and God's using me to speak to to someone and and so forth. And somebody just told me this, uh, this last service, they said I was in my neighborhood, and I saw somebody that was walking drunk, and I just wanted to be a blessing to them and i shared the good news and that man just threw his brand new beer on the ground and we just started to pray and he gave his life to christ i say yeah come on buddy you know there are people who are who are believing god for healing last wednesday service we were here we experienced just the presence of god in such a beautiful way um um, you know people were given visions about god wanting to pour out his holy spirit and while we were here, there were uh, at least five that raised their hands that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit where the presence of God just filled their lives and they knew it. 
Others felt like the gifts of the Holy Spirit were flowing through them and they were speaking in the heavenly language and they've been praying. They prayed that night and the day, the following day, I heard the news that they continue to pray in the Spirit. Amen. Isn't that good news? God is moving. And this is why we pray and fast because we know that we need God to move in our lives. And so uh, next week, we're going to pray for healing and for direction and for clarity and for freedom. And some of these people who have shared these testimonies, I'm going to ask them to share them with us. That you can hear them from the horse's mouth. Glory. Right? So you can hear it from them, what God is doing. And I'm just, I'm just excited about how God is operating in people's lives. Many have told me that they just sense an urgency towards holiness. You know, I was comfortable with this in my life, but not anymore. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Others have said, you know, I just want to be a part of the fellowship. I want to do life with believers who are sold out. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just excited about that. And I, and I hope that you're excited and waiting with expectation for God to do a mighty work in your life. I want to encourage you to end your fast well. Continue to engage in this warfare of fasting until we receive what God has for us and what you have been pleading God for. Your marriage, for your, for your community. For all those things, continue to stand in the gap and end your fast well for the glory of God. Now, next week, again, we're going to have those testimonies. And I can't wait to, to hear some of that and, and, and then to pray and anoint you uh, and believe God to do a mighty thing. I want to ask the Monday group that gets together here to pray particularly for a move of God in our families, in our lives, in our marriages, in our communities uh, as, uh, as we conclude our fast. Today... Uh, and today as we continue, I want to talk about this concept of parachuting in. Parachuting in. On November 6, 1993, something incredible happened. Right? Well, not really that incredible, just kind of crazy. On Las Vegas, Nevada, there was a heavyweight boxing match that was taking place between Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield. And, you know, boxing, you know, it takes some months of training, you know what I mean, to get ready to go into battle. And in the middle of that match, somebody stole the show other than Evander Holyfield and Riddick Bowe. And it wasn't those who were watching. It wasn't even the referee. It wasn't the judges. No, it was the guy who decided to parachute in to the ring, <laughs> right? It was crazy. It stopped the whole show. It was you remember that, Nicole? I know. <laughs> She's got a bad left hook, but she doesn't remember that. Okay. <laughs> right, so this guy just parachuted right into, right into the ring, and you're just, you can just imagine what's going you know, through the minds of these fighters. Like, is this really happening? Is this really happening? Now, I want you to just think about how crazy that is, how absurd that is. Now, these fighters have probably trained for months and months just to be ready for this heavyweight championship of the world. The promoters probably spent millions of dollars just to prepare for this event. People have paid money to pay for their seats and to watch on pay-per-view. And it has all been ruined by some crazy guy who came in through parachute. Incredible. I want you to know, just in case you didn't know, it wasn't welcomed. And when he dropped in the ring, other things dropped on him, right? I mean, it was not, it was not a, a, a wonderful thing for him. And I just want to let you know, it's not a good idea. Not a good way to enter a scene of a sport, of a sporting scene, right? Just don't do it. 
Now, we've seen this often, right? People run into the football field or they run onto the court and they do crazy things for attention. It never ends well. I want to encourage you never to do that. Just in case, Jackie, I see it in your face. You were getting ready to do it. No. <laughs> right? No, you know, I want to encourage you never to do that here in this world. But I want to encourage you to do it in the kingdom of God. I want to challenge you. Will you parachute in to the kingdom of God? Will you interrupt? Will you interrupt the unseen world with your audacity? To get a hold of Jesus. Would you, would you interrupt the flow of the heavenlies. Or whatever is going on right now. Whatever Jesus is doing right now. And get his attention for his glory. Some would say well pastor that sounds kind of dangerous. That sounds kind of risky. And the answer to both of that is yes. It is. It's absolutely risky. I want you to know that the Bible is filled with examples of people who have made a commitment to interrupt, to get the attention of God, to parachute in and say, God, I need you to pay attention to what's going on in my life. Anybody with me today? The Bible is full of examples of people who have gotten in the way and have said, Jesus, I'm interrupting what you're doing right now. Excuse me, but my family needs your attention. I need your attention. My schools need your attention. My city needs your attention. And I, I know that you're doing stuff, but I'm, I need you right now to come through. Anybody with me? And I believe that right now the kingdom of God is in need of people who will interrupt through their prayer and their fasting and ask God, would you do something right now? Would you do something right now? The Bible is full of examples of people who have the audacity To say, I am going to pray, I am going to seek, I am going to stand in the way until you take notice of me, Lord. Until you take notice of my need. Until you take notice of my city. Until you take notice of the brokenness that we're going through. Until you take notice of my family. Until you take notice of my marriage. Until you take notice of this addiction that I've been dealing with. Until you take notice and break this pornography addiction out of my life. Until you take notice and break this anger that controls my decision. I'm going to stand in prayer and in fasting until you do something. God, do something. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus on his throne is looking for people who will interrupt. Those who, those who are willing to parachute in, those are the people who are, those people who are bold enough to parachute in are people who will receive what they're asking for. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 on down of a woman who dropped in a situation while Jesus was doing his ministry. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, in other words, not an Israelite. She was not a part of the in crowd. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. In other words, she didn't just say that once. As Jesus continued to do ministry and do his work, she continued to say, God, would you have mercy on me? My daughter is oppressed by demons. Jesus, please, I know you can hear me. Please, I beg you, please, listen to what's going on in my life. 
Jesus, I know I'm not the in crowd, but if I could just have a miracle, my daughter is struggling. Jesus, please, Jesus. Jesus, please, I'm here. Jesus, would you please do something? You're the only way. I, I don't have any other recourse. Jesus, my daughter is struggling. Would you please? Can you send her away? Just picture her humility. Picture her determination and her boldness as she cried out. He answered to the woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. If Jesus says something difficult, this is it, isn't it? Here is this woman pleading. Here is this woman hurt. Here is this woman broken. She is determined. She is, uh, everybody recognizes that she's not a part of the in crowd. And Jesus says, I cannot give you what belongs to the in crowd. I'm only sent to the children of Israel. Jesus says, help me, please. And Jesus says, I can't give what belongs to the children to the dogs. Now raise your hand if you like being called a dog. Any, any. <laughs> no one, right? I mean, can you imagine? But listen, I believe and I'm convicted that the reason why Jesus was doing and spoke to her this way was because Jesus was calling out of her a level of faith that he was trying to teach his disciples to have and those that surround him. He wanted them to see the level of faith in this woman. And as Jesus said that to her, listen to how she responded to Jesus. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now I want you to notice her faith. I'm not asking for the bread. I don't need the bread. All I need is a crumb from you. I know who you are. You give me that crumb and my daughter is whole. And Jesus is like, that's what I was waiting for. Give me a high five, girl. Let's do this. She has more faith than all of you in the in crowd. Right? I mean, Jesus then raises her stature before everyone, right? He, he, he plays right into that and just blesses her and says, greater faith is in her than in all Israel. And her daughter is instantly healed. You know what? Life will push you into certain situations where you're going to feel like you're not in the in crowd with God. You're going to have certain crises and certain situations in your life where you feel like God has disregarded you. You don't know what's going on in your life. Like God's not feeling your pain, your struggle. And you're going to feel like even coming to God is awkward because you don't belong in his presence. But I want you to know something. You belong in his presence because he paid a price for you to enter into his presence. And he's waiting for you to intercede with determination and say, God, I need you to come into my heart, into my life, into my family, into my situation and intervene. All I need is a crumb. I know who you are. I know who you are. Those who are bold enough to interrupt are those who receive what they're asking God for. If you move forward in the scriptures, you'll find that those who dare to interrupt are met with God's favor. Mark chapter 2 tells us another story. It reads this way, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room in the house. Not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them even at the door. In other words, you know, 
Jews are a lot like us Hispanics. There's no room for anything. You know, even the door, there's no room. You know, we're just full. You know what I mean? We just let, we know to celebrate. Okay, I'll stop there. And they came bringing to him a paralytic. I want you to notice. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near because of the crowd, listen to what they did. They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Anybody think that that's crazy? I want you to pay attention to what's going on here. I always had a hard time understanding how this is possible. I understand one man climbing up there. But how do four men carrying someone climb up a ladder? Because again, I'm picturing a roof. How did that even happen? Did the hoist the sucker up with a rope? I mean, what's going on? But I got a chance to go to Israel. And I want to show you some pictures. If we go to the next slide. One of the coolest things while I was in Israel is that everywhere I went, I saw hills. There were hills all over. And on those hills, you saw cities and villages and old ruins. And it was just incredible to see. And now, it just grew to mind the times where Jesus said, you cannot hide a city that's set on a hill. Right? So, oh, that, Jesus probably was looking at something like this. and said, you see that city? That city can't hide itself. There's no way that city can hide itself. Right? And while we were in Capernaum, we were actually in Capernaum where Jesus was ministering. If we go to the next slide, we saw many homes. And the thing is, is that, you know, as you walk, everything is very hilly. There's a lot of hills everywhere. And houses would be embedded in the valley of a hill or at the, at the bottom part of a hill. And so it was quite easy to climb up a hill and end up at the roof of a house. And this was actually us looking from on top of a hill into the roof of a house an area that was commemorated because uh, they believe really close to that region is exactly the home where Jesus, where Jesus actually was when they dropped the guy from the roof. And so I want you to just picture as Jesus is ministering, right, and just, uh, just blessing the people who are there and just preaching and doing this thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, as he's sharing the good news, he's just like, you know, uh, okay, I got to watch this. You know? I mean, just incredible. They break to the roof to get this guy to Jesus. And listen to what the scripture says in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Notice. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, and it goes on to talk about how people uh, were really bothered by it. And Jesus said, What you think is hard for me to forgive sins uh, or for for me to declare that, that I forgive sins? Well, let me just declare this, get up and walk. And the guy walked, right? And it was because of their faith that this man was healed. But I want you to notice how ostentatious this was, how offensive this could have been. Jesus could have been like, you know, don't you see that I'm busy doing the Father's work? This is so rude of you. But here are these people interrupting Jesus because they know that only Jesus can bring the healing that they need. And Jesus looks on them with favor. I can just see him with a smile. I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to do this. People who interrupt in their prayers, in their fasting, and in their seeking of God are met with the favor of God. The favor of God. I want you to know something. We need the favor of God. 
Are you with me? We need the favor of God in our workplace. We need the favor of God in our homes. We need the favor of God over our health. We need the favor of God in our schools. And I am convinced that we will not be visited with the favor of God unless we, the people of God, turn to God and plead for his favor. Word of God says, if my people, not the president, not the cabinet, not the Congress, not the Senate, not a political, not a law, not another bill. No, if the people of God who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and seek his face, then he will hear from heaven. Then he will forgive our sins and then he will heal, heal our land. That's the favor of God. And when does that come? When we have the right president or the right senator or the right Congress, that'll never happen. That'll come when the people of God take ownership of their authority and their dominion and say before God, I turn from my sins. I turn from my comfort. And I turn to you, God, in repentance. And I'm asking for your favor over our city, over our families, and over our lives. Amen? Amen. God is looking for people who will interrupt. Those who interrupt are met with the favor of God. And I will just say this as we close. Those who are desperate enough to parachute in, to drop in on Jesus, those who are desperate enough are those who encounter, those who grab a hold of the power of God. I'm not going to read the scripture, um, but it's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 40 on down. The Bible says that as Jesus entered into a town, there were people who were waiting for him. And as he was there, there was a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. And Jairus said to him, you know, if you would just come to my home and pray for my daughter, she is ill. And Jesus was on his way to go pray for his daughter. And while he was on his way, he was pressed on every side from everyone. But yet in the midst of that, there's a story. There's a story, a backstory that's taking place. And that story is the story of a woman who had been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years. The Bible says that she tried everything and she found no healing. Now, I want you to think about that. What did it think about? The fact that she's bleeding, hurting physically for 12 years, trying every medicine, every nuance, every wizardry, whatever the world had to offer her. She tried everything to no avail. She was at a point of utter desperation. And she heard that Jesus was coming to town. And she made up her mind. She made up her mind. If I just touch his cloak. If I just touch the end of his garment. I'm going to be made whole. Now, some commentaries would say that that means that she had faith that he was the Messiah. Because in Malachi chapter 4 it says that healing will be in his wings. And so some believe that her declaration that if I touch his cloak, I will be made whole. It's number one, that she declares that he is the Messiah, the Christ of God. And secondly, that he does have healing. And so she made up her mind, no matter what, that she was going to get to Jesus, touch his cloak and be whole. Now, Jesus is being impressed by everybody as he's heading to, as he's heading to, to, uh, to Jairus' house. I want you to notice that. You know, these are narrow roads. I mean, the roads that we walked on, that Jesus walked on while I was in Israel were no wider than this, right? And Jesus already got 12 disciples plus a million people around him, it seems, right? All the time pressing him, moving him, asking him for things. And this woman 
had to fight through that entire crowd to get to Jesus. I can imagine her kneeling. I can imagine her falling. I can imagine her weak because of her loss of blood continually. Maybe she had a headache. Maybe she was in pain, but she had determination. I'm not going to stop until I get a hold of Jesus. And now while Jesus is on the way, the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus was ready for this or that he was aware that this was going to happen. It just tells us that she touched the hem of his garment and Jesus stopped and noticed. He says, wait a minute. Who touched me? Who touched me? And Peter, good old Peter with his foot in his mouth all the time, says, because uh, I'm like Jesus, I was thinking there's like a lot of people touching you. I don't know if you notice, but you're like being impressed on every side. Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about that. I felt power flow out of me. And it's not as if Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus was on his way, on a journey to accomplish something, and this woman interrupted that. She interrupted, and Jesus felt her faith. And finally, she confessed and said, it was me. And the Lord said, your faith has made you whole. I want you to notice, she was desperate. Jesus was unaware of her desperation, as, as far as we can tell in the scriptures. And when she touched Jesus, her faith moved the power of God to operate in her life. She interrupted for the glory of God, and God did a mighty thing. Her desperation, her desperation moved the heart of God. What are you desperate for today? What are you desperate? Because those who are desperate enough to parachute in and interrupt are met with the power and the glory of God. Would you stand with me? Our fasting and our prayer throughout this 21 days is a declaration of desperation. It's us saying to the Lord, Lord, we're not satisfied with life as it is. There's a lot of issues and challenges that I'm dealing with, God. Unless you deal with me and break through some things in my life, I'm going to stay the same and I'm desperate for change. That's what our fast is about. God's glory visiting us and changing us from the inside out. What are you desperate for today? You know... I believe that we have enough reasons to be desperate before God about. But the thing is, is that in our culture, it's not that that desperation is satisfied, but that that desperation is sedated with the things of the world. We entertain ourselves enough to not notice our desperation. We feed ourselves enough to not notice the desperation. We keep ourselves entertained with the wrong things enough. We distract ourselves enough with the wrong relationships, with the wrong things in our life life enough to the point where we don't feel the pain of our desperation. And I want to tell you sometimes, and I, I know this is a tough word, but sometimes God allows us to hit some serious crises in our lives. 
some serious ground zeros. And even that in itself is a blessing from the Lord. Because it awakens us to the fact that we are desperate for God. We are created for God. Only God can satisfy. Only God can resurrect. Let me ask you. Are you awake to your desperation? Are you awake? And I pray to God that there are men of God here who are saying, I am desperate for my children who have to have a fire for God. I pray that there are women of God who are pleading, saying, I'm desperate for my family to know the presence of the Lord. I'm praying that there are people here today that are saying, I'm desperate for freedom from addiction. I'm praying that there will be people who are here to say, who are, who, today who would say, I am desperate for the end of abortion in Toledo, in Toledo area. I, I plead, I plead, I pray, I hope that there are people here today who are desperate for God to be back in our schools. I hope that there are people who are desperate for revival in our city. I hope and pray and I plead that there are people who are desperate for marriages that reflect the glory of God. We need anguish. We need to be able to park and say, God, we need you to come into our hearts and do in our hearts what you need to do in our hearts. God, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Let us grieve for the things that grieve your heart. Let us celebrate over the things you celebrate, God. And let us, Father God, partner with you to bring change in our communities. Anguish, David Wilkerson would say. Nothing good comes outside of anguish. Look at the church and look at the saints of old and look at the Bible and notice how often God led his people to brokenness before there was real change. What are you desperate for today? What are you desperate for? Father, everything is not okay. Everything is not okay. Our world is broken. It's not that America will fall in the judgment of God. It, it seems you've already begun that judgment. Well, God, we're desperate. We need a move of your presence. And I'm praying, oh God, that you would awaken us, oh God, so that we would interrupt and say, God, enough. Here we are. We stand in the gap. We plead for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your kindness. Pour out your glory, God. Notice us. Pray, awaken a church, God, who is willing to interrupt until you take notice, Jesus. That will be willing, be willing to be like the blind man who cried, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when people told them to shut up, they just got louder. Oh, God, make us a church that get loud. Make us a church that get loud until you bring about true change in our lives. In our lives, in our families, God, in our cities. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you're here today, and you're saying, Pastor, I recognize that right now there are things I need to be desperate about, God, about, and I need to bring before the Lord. But I'm sedated. I recognize that there are, whether it be entertainment or relationship, there are things that I'm allowing to distract me 
to the point that I'm not bringing these things before God and interrupting and asking God to move his kingdom on, on the behalf of these things. If that's you right now, would you come to the altar right now? You're saying, I want God to awaken me. I, I, I want God to put his hunger, his brokenness in me. I want to be desperate for the things that I need to be desperate about. And I, w- I want to intercede. I don't want to be in a state of, of stalemate, not desperate for his presence. I'm already here at the altar. I know that there are things in my life that God is calling me to be desperate about enough to pray and fast until he brings about change. You're here today and you're saying, I want to I be awakened. I know that there are things that the Lord has called me to pray about, and I don't want to surrender. I don't want to yield. I want to get the attention of Jesus. I'm going to parachute in. That's you. Would you come to the altar right now? Would you come to the altar right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm desperate. I know what I'm desperate about. I'm in the midst of a crisis. And I need the power of God to come through. I am waiting on a move of God. And I have faith that he's going to do it. But would you pray with me? Would you pray with me and agree with me? If that's you right now, and you're at a place of desperation, you need the move of God in your life, would you come up to the altar right now? Desperation is good. Desperation is good. God can meet you in your desperation. Desperation and faith, they move the kingdom of God. You're at a place of desperation. You need the move of God in your life, in your family. Now, as I was worshiping today, and I I was thinking about these altar calls, even in the second service, it's totally different as the first service. I felt the Lord, I felt the Lord um, just impress in my heart that some of you have lost vision and hope for what he desires for your life. And that you need to dream and envision again the things that he put in your heart. Your home may be a home where there is no peace, but he desires your home to be a place of restoration. You may feel like ministry or serving the Lord or having big dreams for Jesus, that that's something of the past, that you shouldn't have that anymore because of your age or because of your struggles or because of past sins. But I felt the Lord just wanted me to encourage you and tell you it's only the beginning. When you surrender your life to the Lord, it's only the beginning of what he can do. And some of you, I just feel impressed, like the Lord has put in my heart, there are some of you just, you have this mediocre view about yourself. You felt even as you've done this walk with Jesus, like you're not a part of the in crowd. God is saying to you that he takes notice of you. He takes notice of you. For I know what plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to bless you, to give you a hope and a future. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's a scripture. It's the word of the Lord for you. That's you today. The Lord is calling you to dream again. The Lord is calling you to believe again. The Lord is calling you to stand again. He will do what he said he will do. He will accomplish his work in you. I like to call it this time the altar workers, those who help me pray at the altar. We're going to begin to pray. I want you to just stay here at the altar. I want to pray for you. If you could stay at the altar until I pray with you. If you would just stand here. Uh, 
would you come up and help me pray? Brother Robbie and uh, Crystal, if, if you guys are available in the altar workers, make sure, don't leave until someone prays for you if you're here at the altar. Uh, we'd love to pray with you and partner with you right now where you're at. Let me just pray for all of you. God bless you. God keep you. May his face shine on you. Interrupt the kingdom of heaven for his glory. May Jesus take notice of you and where you're at. You are loved by God. He can't wait to hear from you. God bless you. Have a great week. We're going to continue to pray. Uh, you're welcome at this time. You're dismissed. You're welcome to come up or, or to move forward. We're going to.